Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Dabelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Sunday's Kathy Merini featured an in-depth report on the challenges Turkey's unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, pose to Greece's security, and explored the ways in which Athens is working both diplomatically and operationally to counter their intrusions in the Aegean and the Eastern Mediterranean. Meanwhile, as Athens looks to deal with the challenges posed by Turkey's UAVs, it also has its eyes on developments in Ukraine. Athens is reportedly looking to strike a delicate balance with regard to the Russian-Ukrainian crisis, as it finds itself at the crossroads of an important movement of military forces from both NATO and Russia. Vasilis Nedos, Kathimedini's diplomatic and defense editor, joins the Greek Current to discuss his latest two articles for Kathimedini that look into Greece's response to Turkey's UAV program and the key considerations in Athens when it comes to the crisis in Ukraine. Vasili, welcome back on the Greek Current. Thanks for having me, Hanno. Vasily, Turkey's drone program, as you reported in Sunday's Kathimedini, is raising a number of concerns in Athens among policymakers who are looking for ways to counter Turkey's UAVs. What are Greece's top concerns? There are a lot of concerns that Athens has vis-a-vis the UAV program that the aeronautical industry of Turkey has been developing in the last few years. The first set of, I would say, concerns is completely diplomatic. It has to do with the capability that the indigenous UAVs give to Turkish diplomacy so it can project influence and power in the regions that are either neighboring or where uh, Turkey has a legitimate or not legitimate interests. We've seen Turkish UAVs flying over the southern Caucasus, giving a significant advantage to Azeri forces against the Armenians in the Nagorno-Karabakh 44-day conflict. In 2020, we've seen Turkish UAVs being utilized in the Libyan war. We've seen Ukraine using those UAVs. And actually, Ukraine and Turkey signed an agreement of common production of UAVs, a type of Turkish UAVs, the Akinci type, will be co-produced by Ukraine and Turkey, which is a more sophisticated type than the TB2 Bayraktar, which is the one that's, uh, let's say, the export success of Baikar Tech. Now, let me do a parenthesis here. that Baikar Tech's chief technology officer is Selçuk Bayraktar, which is the son-in-law of Recep Tayyip Erdogan. So it has a direct connection to the palace in Ankara. And we've seen EU countries discussing with Turkey about buying UAVs manufactured in Turkey. At the same time, it is a very cheap weapon. The Turkish manufactured UAVs can be utilized and purchased by countries that do not have the budget to buy, for example, the highly sophisticated US UAVs. And I would say that a very good friend of mine told me in a discussion about this issue, the issue of the UAVs, is that the Turkish UAV is the weapon of the poor. So that is one thing. The diplomatic advantages that exporting cheap killing machines to countries or to actors, because if we go to the Libyan civil war, apparently the UAVs were used in a civil war. It is not that Turkey has an export policy that has some principle and standards. So that's the one thing. The second category of concerns for Greece is, of course, the operational problems or issues that the Turkish UAVs create in the Aegean and East Mediterranean for Greece's defense. And I would say that the main issues raised there is that uh, very cheaply, the Turkish UAVs give intelligence and uh, live operational 
payments and capabilities to the Turkish armed forces, while at the same time Greece is only starting to develop or trying to purchase or co-develop with other players under UAV systems. So I would say that to sum this up, Athens has two kinds of concerns. The first one is the diplomatic that I think that I tried to explain as thoroughly as I could. And the second one is how you counter a threat coming from the UAVs. What steps is Athens taking on the diplomatic front to prevent Ankara from using its UAVs as leverage in the region? Well, first of all, Athens has been raising some standard, I would say, United Nations and European Union legal texts about the legitimacy of using an uh, uninhabited vehicle. So one of the things that uh, Greece is doing is trying to highlight how many issues there are in using uninhabited systems to attack against uh, human targets, against civilians in peaceful periods. So this is one thing they're doing here in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I think that what they are doing is quite thorough. But in what extent can this be effective is something that we need to see in the long run. Of course, on a second level, Greece has been raising the issue of parts some countries have been selling to Turkey in order to build those UAVs. One of the reasons why Turkey exported those UAVs in Ukraine and Ukraine used them against Russian-speaking guerrillas in uh, eastern uh, Ukraine was because he wanted, and it seems that he achieved, to have an industrial agreement with Ukraine to develop internal combustion engines for the Turkish UAVs because the Austrian company Rotax that was building the engines for the TB2 Bayraktar, because of the sanctions that the owning company Bombardier was following, stopped exporting those engines to Turkey. And uh, even though, according at least to my information, Turkey can somehow support the engines of uh, TB2 Bayraktar, the larger models of the Turkish UAV like Akinci, Aksungur, these are, let's say, if I may use that terminology, those are aggressive weapons. It's not like the TB2 Bayraktar is mostly an intelligence gathering machine. Of course, it can be used for attacks, but it's mostly an intelligence and reconnaissance aerial system. So Turkey needed that agreement. And of course, Ukraine provided that agreement because Turkey was there when the Ukrainians needed them. So I would say that one level is making a legal standpoint why the thing that Turkey is doing is dangerous. I should also remind to our audience that Reuters broke a story some weeks ago about uh, Turkey's UAVs being used in Ethiopia and how this may have put civilian lives at risk. So it is an actual issue that has been discussed in a series of levels, not only on a domestic Greek level. And the second one is try and persuade on a bilateral level big players and countries with industrial capacities not to work together with Turkey. It is not an easy task for Greek foreign policy. What about on the operational side, Vasily? What do military and defense experts tell you about the ways Greece can meet the challenge that these drones present in the Aegean, for example? Well, I think that what everyone is saying is that you have to develop anti-UAV systems, anti-drone systems. This thing can happen in two levels. The first one is develop it yourself, and the second one is purchase systems from abroad. So everyone agrees that This should be an operation undertaken by systems that perform soft kill. And this is how you spot a system and you block it from continuing its operation. Of course, 
there is the hard kill, but we all realize that if a decision to uh, strike such a system down is taken, then, you know, we have to be ready for uh, what may follow. So it's not an easy decision. So I would say that most of, you know, the people that are uh, working in this field believe that the soft kill is the solution. And it's also preferred not only for political reasons, but also for technological reasons, because it can be a booster for domestic defense industry as well. These are artificial intelligence systems that uh, use also civilian technologies like satellite systems. And uh, I believe that most of the people that are, let's say, in this field of work prefer that kind of treatment for an issue such as a UAV uh, threat. As Athens looks to deal with the challenges posed by Turkey's UAVs, it also has its eyes on developments in Ukraine. What are the main considerations in Athens today when it comes to the Ukraine-Russia crisis? Well, of course, you know, Greece has been uh, firmly pro-territorial integrity and return of Crimea into Ukraine. So Greece is firmly into NATO and European Union's uh, line of understanding for the Russo-Ukrainian crisis. Now, Greece does not simultaneously want to jeopardize a process that has been quite painstaking in the previous years of restoring relations with Russia. In that regard, again, Greece's uh, public diplomacy, Greece's central line is that Russia is a part of Europe's security architecture. Emmanuel Macron, president of France, says that. The Germans also agree in that regard. And we should remember that Greek-Russian relationship was very bad in the last four or five years with a very hot, if I may say the word, summer back in 2018 when two Russian diplomats were expelled from Athens. And at the same time, there was a reprisals, of course, from Moscow. And in the last two, three years, Greece is trying to get back on track on, I would say, a functional relationship with Russia. And, you know, one thing, of course, is the Russian-Greek bilateral relationship. But at least in my point of view, a very strong factor that influences the tendency of Greece to normalize as much as possible its ties with uh, Russia is exactly the relationship that Russia and Turkey have developed in the last five, six years and has been creating anxiety here in Athens. As this crisis heats up, Vasily, Greece is at the crossroads of an important movement of military forces from both NATO and Russia. What kind of activity are we seeing in and around Greece, and what's Greece's role here, particularly with regard to NATO deployments? Well, you know, we already have around the Hellenic Seas a couple of aircraft carriers. USS Harry S. Truman in the Ionian Sea was yesterday, it was just ashore Kefalonia. Also the carrier group of Charles de Gaulle, the French carrier, the Clemenceau 22 group is uh, heading towards our area, but also East Mediterranean as well. You know, Greek armed forces are a part of those activities, either with a direct connection to the French carrier group through the frigate Adrias or with uh, airplanes and special forces conducting exercises with uh, U.S. counterparts that are uh, here in Greece. Also, in the next few days, the 1st Combat Aviation Brigade, the U.S. Army, will start its rotation to Eastern Europe. It's something that happens every year, but of course this year it has uh, some additional importance, I would say, because of the tension in Ukraine. And of course, the Aegean Sea is also a transit spot for the Russian Navy. And uh, as we revealed in uh, Sunday's Kathimerini, and uh, a lot of media already are covering it today, Today, on the 8th of February, some Russian warships 
crossed uh, Gibraltar, and now they are moving to Black Sea. Also, we have movement of Russian naval units uh, from uh, Syria, their naval base there, through, of course, the Aegean Sea again into the Black Sea. And even though these Russian movements are not unprecedented, we've seen them happening before in certain occasions. It is, I would say, rather noticeable that, again, we are witnessing uh, muscle flexing of, uh, you know, NATO and uh, Russia in the seas around Greece. Vasily, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. Great speaking with you as always. Thank you. In other news, Greece's foreign ministry said on Monday that images showing a band dancing to electronic music at the former Orthodox Christian Sumela Monastery in Turkey were offensive and a desecration of the monument. The ministry called on Turkish authorities to do their utmost to prevent such acts from being repeated and to respect the site, a candidate for UNESCO's list of World Heritage Sites. Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew also sent a complaint to Turkey's culture and tourism minister, saying that granting permission for the event was incompatible with the site's religious character and its history. Sumela Monastery was founded in the 4th century, but was turned into a museum and is today administered by the Culture Ministry in Turkey. Finally, the EU's lending arm, the European Investment Bank, provided a record financing of almost 5 billion euros last year to help Greece shift to clean energy and support its businesses hit by the pandemic, officials said on Tuesday. The EIB offered 2.7 billion euros in guarantees through the European Guarantee Fund to help companies affected by lockdown secure loans from the country's four largest lenders. Those guarantees will mobilize more than 6 billion euros in investments in tourism, green energy, and digital economy, Greek Finance Minister Christos Taikouras said. The EIB is also planning to manage 5 billion euros of funds that Greece is due to receive from the EU's Pandemic Recovery Fund in the coming years. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.